Dear listeners, you are tuned into WOWD 94.3 FM, and this is Interfaith-ish. I am your host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday, one hour at a time, right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. Dear listeners, it's been two whole months since I've been in our homey Tacoma Park studio. The place looks good, the lights are still on, and the music has been jamming. So, as Diggable Planet said, it's good to be here! Right off the top of the show, I want to thank my beloved team behind the scenes for filling in on hosting duties for the past four fabulous shows. Sue Katzmiller, Miranda Hovmeyer, and our faithful engineer, Steve Hoffman. An interfaith round of applause for all of you. But wait, dear listeners, what's that? You've spent the summer on a silent, technology-free pilgrimage walking barefoot along the Camino de Santiago in the north of Spain, contemplating life, the universe, and everything, and you've missed the last few episodes of Interfaith-ish live right here on Tacoma Radio? Well, all is well, dear listeners, all is well, because... We have a new show archive! Interfaith Airhorn! That's right, dear listeners. Now you can listen to recent episodes of Interfaith-ish on TacomaRadio.org. Just look under Shows or Schedule and click on the listing for Interfaith-ish. But that's not all. We're also proud to shout from the rooftops that our full list of interfaith-ish episodes is now available in podcast form on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and SoundCloud. So many options! Just search for interfaith-ish on any of those apps and you'll be treated to hours of great conversations featuring our amazing diverse array of guests. Mormons, Muslims, Jews, Gentiles, the God-fearing, and those that are good without God. It's a big tent, dear listeners, and we want you here with us as we irradiate our eardrums in an experience of interreligious, interdisciplinary, interdimensional interlocution. In other words, without further delay, let's get into some interfaith-ish! Dear listeners, when you have questions, many of you may be fortunate to have a sage in your life that you turn to for advice on quandaries, be they theological, political, or mundane. And as someone who moves in interfaith circles, I feel fortunate to know that in my corner, I've got a priest, I've got an imam, I've got a few rabbis, it's a whole crew. And two of those guys that I greatly admire are with me here today. Uh, Imam Talib Sharif and Father Jim Gardner. Welcome, gentlemen. Glad to have you with us here today. Good to be here. Thanks. Excellent. Excellent. Imam Talib Sharif is president and imam of the historic Nations Mosque, Masjid Muhammad, in the Shaw neighborhood of Washington, D.C. He is a retired U.S. Air Force member with over 30 years of service. He has a wall full of degrees from all over the world, and he's currently on the Mayor's Interfaith Council as well as serving as chairman of the Interfaith Conference of Metropolitan Washington. 
Father Jim Gardner is a Franciscan friar of the atonement, a Franciscan community founded in the Episcopal Church that became a Roman Catholic community. He's been a friar for 58 years and a priest for 50. He's worked in Akron, Ohio, New York City, and Graymore in Garrison, New York. And currently, he's the director of special projects at the Franciscan Monastery of the Holy Land over in my neck of the woods, the Brookland neighborhood in Northeast D.C. There's so much to discuss with both of you, but I want to start by wishing Imam Talib Eid Mubarak. It's Eid Mubarak. Uh, Thank you. This week is marked the holiday Eid al-Adha. So I want to just start, if you would just help us out by um, sharing with our dear listeners a little bit about what Eid al-Adha commemorates. Oh, great, great, great. Thanks for the opportunity to, uh, to give some comments about that. Yes, in fact, a couple more days to still be celebrating, and there'll be some other celebrations the end of the uh, week, during the weekend. Uh, this celebrates, the, really, the sacrifice of Abraham. Of course, you know, this time of the year, uh, the pilgrimage, uh, the Hajj to, to Mecca, uh, visiting the sacred house called the Kaaba, that uh, be, uh, built by Prophet uh, Abraham. And, uh, of course, this whole ritual, this time of the year, where millions are converging there, is really centered around uh, Abraham. And we say peace be upon him, uh, his son, uh, Ismael, and, uh, and, and, and Hagar. And that sacrifice when he was commanded, and something that we all have in common with particularly the three heavenly face, uh, uh, Abraham and the, and the sacrificing of the son. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, but it shows us uh, how we sacrifice, you know, for humanity, uh, really for something greater. Uh, so it's a big celebration as we see that God, he showed God he was willing to do uh, to be obedient uh, to his creator. And what God saw that as being the greatest sacrifice and told him he didn't have to sacrifice his son, but mm -hmm. that was just a symbol instead. So it's a great time to be celebrating uh, this historical event, uh, something now that we all can share because we all have opportunities in our life to sacrifice something uh, in the interest of being obedient to, to our creator. Right. And, and the connection with Eid al-Hadda to, to the Hajj, the annual pilgrimage that uh, Muslims make to Mecca, what is that? Well, the annual pilgrimage, again, uh, when you go to Mecca to visit the house that Abraham built. Uh, so the Hajj is really three days. And, of course, you do seven what they call tawafs, which means uh, you go around the Kaaba counterclockwise. And that's a symbol, and you do it seven times. And that's a symbol uh, that means to go back. We come here from God, pure, uh, whole, and perfect, and, uh, but we go wrong. Mm. And uh, so we go there to go to get back in to tune go in the right the, direction. And get back. And they say when you leave there, you, you have, it's one of those born again type uh, okay. opportunities to be born again. Okay. And you go back to a newborn, I mean, sinless yeah. uh, again. And, uh, and then they enact, they enact the time when uh, Hagar, uh, was with uh, Ishmael uh, in the desert where Abraham had left them, and she didn't have much, and she had to run back and forth trying to even get water. Mm. And then the well of Zamzam that now has been pushing water ever since, and they said it has a, just an endless supply of water. They can't even find out where the source is coming from. Mm. And uh, so you enact her struggling, going back and forth between these uh, two hills. Mm. All these are symbols, uh, but they have meanings. And uh, so you enact that, and then, of course, the, 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 then you go to Mount Arafat, uh, which is a place where you, everybody converges. Uh, also, the mountain is there. The cave is in that same area where the Prophet Muhammad, uh, the president, peace be upon him, where he received the revelation from Angel Gabriel. 
uh, but you're meeting everybody. That's about the first time you get to really know who people are because the men, uh, they have to sacrifice even the culture, the dress and everything, and they all put on what we call them, I like to say, two diapers, so to speak, uh, <laughs> you know, and that's all you can have on, and uh -huh. everybody looks the same. You know, okay. we come here, uh, and, and then there you get to know each other, and you get to hear from each other. And have you been on this experience yourself? I've, I've, I've gone. I have gone. I was blessed to go in 92. Wow. Quite, quite okay. an experience. Quite an experience. Great. And, and I imagine yeah. you're meeting people from all around the world during all this time. All around the world. Mm -hmm. In fact, the year that I went, uh, shortly after the wall had come down, the Berlin Wall had come down. Okay. And, of course, the Muslims, they weren't, they weren't allowed during the time the wall was up to even travel. Wow. And so uh, we were able to meet with some of, some of those Muslims. Wow. As well as many others from all around the world. It's, it's amazing. Beautiful. And then Eid al Haza is the end of that. Is that that is the ending. Mm -hmm. to, after you come down from uh, the artifact, the next day you do some other travels. Uh, and then you have the sacrifice. Then you make the sacrifice. Right. And that's the last day. And then, of course, uh, we here in the States and around the world uh, want to be in sync with them. So we try to celebrate the same days that they're celebrating mm -hmm. uh, there uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. And yesterday, my wife and I, uh, we were exchanging Eid greetings with some of our Muslim friends. Yes. And my wife commented, uh, she asked, isn't Eid at the end of Ramadan, which was, which was in June, uh, at the end of June, yes. it ended in June this year. Um, and that's true, right? Referring to Eid or saying Eid yes, Mubarak. Yes, it's two Eid. So there's two. Yeah, there's Eid, Eid means festival. Mm -hmm. uh, means, it means to recur. The festival keeps coming back. And some can just translate it loosely to holiday. Got it. You know, so there are two of them. And, yeah. uh, Eid and, uh, so it's so. common to say Eid Mubarak at multiple times. Exactly. exactly. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. If you're just joining us, this is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. We're talking with Imam Talib Sharif of Masjid Muhammad, known as the Nation's Mosque. Imam Talib, tell us a little bit about the history of Masjid Muhammad. It went mm -hmm. through an interesting transition from its founding to, to where it is today. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, it started uh, in the 1930s, actually the mid-1930s. In fact, to be exact, 1935. And of course, uh, there's no mystery in terms of the country was undergoing several things uh, during that time in its history. Uh, we know, we see we have a racial problem now. We can imagine what it was back then, you know, doing the, and then you have the Jim Crow years uh, kicked in. So you can imagine, uh, and it is predominantly African-American uh, from the start, but right now it's very uh, diverse today. And that, that was the intent. We'll speak about that just briefly. Uh, but it was a community that was produced uh, upon the struggle uh, to see humanity free. And speaking about many of those who founded it, I mean, uh, uh, people were oppressed uh, less than second class. We know, we know the history in America. Mm -hmm. uh, so D.C. ended up being the place, it being an international city, uh, where this uh, mosque, and it actually is the first mosque uh, in all of America that's built by 100% American-born. I'll put it, I'll put it that mm -hmm. way. Uh, there are some built before it, but they were migrant uh, sure. uh, developments. And one, that's one of the reasons why it's called the nation's mosque, because it's built in the nation's capital, and it has 100% from those who were citizens, put it that way. They just happen Beautiful. to be descendants of enslaved uh, Africans. Right. And, of course, it started uh, with uh, what we call, the, we call him the Honorable Elijah Muhammad mm -hmm. uh, back in the 30s. And, uh, of course, the movement was just getting started across America, and this is the fourth place uh, that a, it was called the Holy Temple of Islam uh, back then. And uh, this was the fourth one in the national movement. And it was a reconnection uh, with, um, uh, I would say, Islam. Mm. Uh, we know that you know, years ago, when America was in, informing, 
there was a higher ratio of Muslims, of slaves that were Muslims, to the population at that time. Mm. Obviously, now there's a smaller, smaller percentage now mm -hmm. uh, because we've become very diverse as a, as a nation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's maybe about maybe 1% or 2% mm -hmm. of Muslim population today. Mm -hmm. uh, but, of course, Islam wasn't something that could be practiced. So it wasn't a practiced uh, way of life. Although there were Muslims that have always been here even before it was a nation. Uh, but around that time, this was just forming now to establish it as a way of life. There were several movements uh, in America. And again, looking for alternatives, trying to find things. Uh, uh, of course, um, I, I, I get into Leela. I was a Christian uh, before being a Muslim, and we mm -hmm. can speak about mm -hmm. that transition. Mm -hmm. And so many, many of those who were Muslims uh, back then who became Muslims, they had been Christians mm -hmm. uh, as well. And so they had family members who were Christians. And they were accepting Islam because Islam, the definition of Islam back then in the 30s was that Islam was freedom, justice, and equality. Mm. So it didn't have all the rituals, didn't come with it. Mm -hmm. Just the essence of what Islam uh, can do mm -hmm. uh, for you. Now, if you would know that during that time in world history, the majority of the Muslim world uh, had been invaded, had been conquered, and, and, and much colonized. You know? And mm -hmm. so a lot of people say, why didn't a lot of them come to help? when we didn't have all the ritual stuff and they try to help us with those things. It really, they were just trying to help themselves, really. Sure. And, uh, and, and they would have uh, hurt, really, what was needed to be done here because it was a different type of movement right. uh, that was taking place in this whole new human society, mm -hmm. America, being so young. Mm -hmm. uh, so some dynamic things happened. But the goal was always to go from the small circle of self and nationalism mm -hmm. to the broader circle of oneness and humanity. Uh -huh. so, so you're marking the, the period, in that early period, under Elijah Muhammad, um, being being with that that nationalist yes yes idea. it's more nationalist because mm -hmm. you know the, the, it was reverse uh, it was it was a world in America we we hear about white supremacy now but right. obviously that was the reality more because you know the the laws Law of the land. in fact two laws were still in existence you had mm -hmm. the white water fountain the black water and right. not to mention other things you right know? sure uh, so that inferiority superiority peace right. uh, was there so obviously trying to strengthen. Uh, the self-esteem, the dignity uh, in the people. As I mentioned, their very humanity had been questioned. Right. Uh, so that movement uh, was a dynamic movement. Great social reform took place mm -hmm. uh, that helped because many of them, because of the way they were treated and felt and, and because the depression was during that time, uh, many had was on drugs, alcohol, many had turned to prostitution and all kind of negative things mm -hmm. that some have given themselves to. Uh, but he himself, having been the son, Elijah Muhammad was a son of a Baptist preacher, mm. uh, you know, so he didn't know any, uh, about that. He saw a lot of horrific things in his life. He said he saw enough lynchings to last him 26,000 lifetimes. Right. So you can imagine the kind of scars that were put on a person. Right. Uh, and, of course, that would touch their very soul. So there was a, there was a sincere movement right. uh, in what he was doing right. uh, as well. So people saw that. And he, being a short person, and began to speak to those who were oppressing Mm -hmm. uh, without putting his head down and mm -hmm. saying some things that was very courageous, uh, it made people say, well, God must be with him. Mm -hmm. If he can do that and say that with that kind of courage, uh, I'm going to join this. They didn't, mm -hmm. they didn't necessarily have all the information about it. They just saw something because and the conditions started changing. Mm -hmm. And then eventually uh, it was, uh, I would say, ordained his, his son. Before his son was born, uh, the mystery of it is that his teacher, who came from uh, the lands, it was India at the time, Pakistan today, who, who was looking for someone in America and found him. 
And uh, that person told him that your seventh son, he wasn't even born yet. He said, your seventh son will be the one to bring in the religion. Say, so he told the Elijah Muhammad that his job was to clean people up, mm. get them ready uh, uh, to approach God correctly. And that's what he did. He helped a lot of people come off of those things I was telling you about. So mm -hmm. it was a great social reform right. because they began to see themselves better. They began to dress neat. The women began to cover. Right. And everybody began to be very dignified. Right. And eventually the son was born. The seventh son ended up being a boy. Uh, and he began to give him the Holy Quran. They've always respected the Holy Quran right. from the very beginning. Out of all the movements in America, and the, and the listeners should know, uh, that you got the Marcus Garvey movement, you got the Nobajrali movement, all these movements. But it, what, what they should know is that two things were embedded uh, with Elijah Muhammad that, that stayed and for them to grow. And that was the whole Holy Quran, the complete book. And he was told how to respect it. He didn't know how to read it. He didn't know anything about it. But he was told his son would do that later. Just make sure you make sure it's respected now so when that time comes, they would already have a sacred regard for it. Mm -hmm. And he also embedded the name Muhammad. Although he told him that he was a messenger, he made sure that name Muhammad, because his name was Elijah Poole, and again, okay. his name became Muhammad, and of course, and we'll message Muhammad. So that right. name Muhammad, he knew those two things were bigger than what he gave him, and they would outgrow the limited message he gave them just to be, to help them for that time, to be able to, to, to find the dignity and then find the communication of God uh, to them. Beautiful. So it sounds like this is a very powerful, uplifting um, period for for the community, and um, and continues to be to be today. Yes. Great. So thank you. Um, this is Interfaith Ish on WOWD ninety four point three FM. We've been talking with Imam Talib Sharif of Masjid Muhammad. I want to bring in my other guest here today, Father Jim Gardner of the Franciscan Monastery of the Holy Land. Um, Father Jim, we talked about uh, how Masjid Muhammad made a shift in its orientation, and I was surprised to learn that the order that you're a part of, the Franciscan Friars of the Atonement, made a change as well uh, from the Episcopal to Roman Catholic orientation. So could you share some of that history with us? Well, uh, my community was founded in 1898 in Garrison, uh, New York, um, by a gentleman, Episcopal priest by the name of Paul Watson and an Episcopal nun by the name of Lorena White. And uh, they had this idea to form in the Episcopal Church um, an order of uh, Franciscan men and Franciscan women following the Franciscan rule uh, that would uh, work and pray for um, the unity of the church. Going back to John 1721, you know, I pray that all may be one, etc. So uh, as, they, as they pushed their agenda, uh, and, you know, got the, got the community going and pushed their agenda, they became uh, almost like outcasts in the Episcopal Church because it, uh, they, was, they were suggesting in those days that uh, it would be a good idea to, uh, uh, to go to Rome to, uh, uh, to pay attention to the Pope, that the Pope was the primate, etc. And, uh, and, and uh, that didn't go over too well, as you can imagine, in the Episcopal Church. In the Roman Catholic Church, it didn't go over too well either, because there, there was always like a suspicion about them. Why are they doing this, etc.? But Father Paul was apparently was a character uh, of sorts. Um, I remember uh, he died in 1940. This is before I was born. But uh, he he worked over here in uh, Massey and Millington, Maryland, right on the Delaware border. His father was the pastor of a church over there, uh, and his mother was um, like the church secretary. And, 
I was over there recently, and I was looking at her handwriting and in, in the minutes of the of the, the church council meeting. Mm. It was very fascinating. But anyway, they founded this place in uh, they founded the community place called Garrison Graymore in Garrison, New York. Everybody wonders where the name Graymore came from. From Dr. Gray and Mr. Moore, they were the ones who were, were involved in the place uh, uh, before. Uh, but and they promoted this agenda of uh, Christian unity. And uh, as a result, uh, they were advised, uh, why don't you just go to Rome, get it over with? The Episcopal Bishop of Delaware at the time uh, was the one who was the, the Bishop Protector, as he was called. And he was the one who advised them to, to do that. And they did that. Hmm. They became Roman Catholic uh, in 1909. In 1908, though, a year before, uh, Father Paul Watson was uh, the prime mover behind what we now know as the Week of Prayer for Christian Unity, which is celebrated worldwide January 18 to 25. <clears throat> Based on the uh, High Priestly Prayer of Jesus, the Last Supper, that all may be one, as you, Father, may I and you, they also may be one, as the world may believe um, that you sent me. And Christian churches, Orthodox, uh, uh, Catholic, Protestant, uh, and, uh, are, are challenged to celebrate this week uh, every year. That's one of the things that he. That's one of the things that he did. Where Granville was located, though, uh, was um, it was a mountaintop, or technically a mountaintop. He didn't. Uh, it's uh, by I think by a few feet, so you don't want to scrape too much off the top of it. You know, you, you lose the status as a mountain. He bought, he bought the thing. First of all, he goes and he climbs the top and he plants a cross on the top. He claims the mountain for Christ, another man's property. Hmm. Guy said he'd sell it to him because it was all rocks and stuff like that and uh -huh. for 300 bucks, and he didn't have it. So, But he did it anyway, and he gets a check <laughs> in the mail from some benefactor in England mm -hmm. for 300 Okay. So you can't stop him now. You know what I mean? He just feels that, that, that God is on his side. It's interesting. I mean, I was going to say that uh, uh, where Graymore is, it's on Route 9 in Garrison, New York, across the river from West Point. That was the, um, uh, that was the, the main road to what we used to call the Irish Alps, you know, that where people went for vacations. Mm -hmm. And the guy, guys were walking... Knights of the Road, he called me, call them Brothers Christopher, actually, uh, that they would be going up in the spring looking for jobs, coming back in the sand. They would come in needing a place to stay, maybe something to eat. They would come into the, 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 the convent at the bottom of the hill, and um, he cleared out a chicken, a chicken coop, and he started this thing about uh, called uh, St. Christopher's Inn, which since 190, uh, well, prior, right, since like 1900, has welcomed men, um, who uh, right now they're in need of alcohol rehab, drug rehab. Mm. It's really dual addictions at this point. Uh -huh. But it's a, it's a major, it, it turns out to be a major ministry of, uh, of my community, besides Be the whole Christian mm. unity thing. Beautiful. Beautiful. If you're just joining us, this is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. We're talking with Father Jim Gardner, Director of Special Projects at the Franciscan Monastery of the Holy Land. So you talked a little bit about the history um, up in upstate New York of the of of the Franciscans, take us to D.C. What is what is the um, the the place of the Franciscan Monastery of the Holy Land, Holy Land, which our dear listeners may know for its spectacular gardens in Northeast D.C. 
And it also features a number of replicas of holy places, shrines, and so forth. So what are some of these features, and, and why have people recreated these places here in D.C.? Well, the Franciscan Monastery of the Holy Land belongs to what's called the custody of the Holy Land. Or about 800 years ago this year, um, St. Francis went to, uh, went to the Middle East to talk to the Sultan. Uh, I think St. Francis, and I don't think he had it on his mind that he would talk to the Sultan and convert the Sultan. I think the Sultan had it on his mind he would talk to Francis and convert him. Apparently they talked for a couple of days, had tea, and agreed to, this is going nowhere, actually went everywhere because they, they, uh, they, they respected one another and they, they parted as friends, it occurs to me. Wouldn't it be interesting if instead of fighting one another for 800 years, we just decided to have tea? I mean, the world would be a very, I think, a very, uh, a very different place. Mm -hmm. But uh, so the the uh, the first province subdivision of the Franciscan friars was uh, the Holy Land province. They the Pope gave custody of the shrines in the Holy Land, the holy places for us, to the Franciscans uh, and uh, to the custody of the Holy Land. The monastery in D.C. here um, is the only house in this country, in the U.S., that um, belongs to the custody of the Holy Land, of, all the, of the Franciscan places all over the world. This, this, we're the only one in the U.S. that belongs to, uh, at the, belongs to the, the custody of the Holy Land. When it was founded at the turn of the last century, the monastery and the property was bought, an old farm there in Northeast, um, there, it was very hard to go to the Holy Land and so they thought, the founders did, the founder of the place thought he would bring the Holy Land uh, to, to the U.S. Mm. And the architect, uh, to say that it was meticulous uh, would be um, you know, an, uh, an understatement because he went to the Holy Land and he measured all these shrines, the, the, the anointing stone, the, the, the tomb, uh, you name it, the height of Calvary from the sea. So he measured all these things. And he well, put so these are exact replicas. Yeah, and this is the day before, uh, before laser measuring and all right. this kind of stuff, you know. Uh, so, um, and so then also, uh, we, out, of the, out of the monastery, we have a pilgrimage office, and uh, the first U.S. pilgrimage to the Holy Land was organized out of there over 100 years ago. I saw a, uh, a flyer for one of those pilgrimages from the 30s or 20s or 30s, I forget what it was. They said, don't put that out, don't display it, because it said, you know, 10-day pilgrimage to the Holy Land, $400. You know I me, mean? that doesn't work nowadays, you know I me. Mean? But we still... We take, we have dozens of pilgrimages that we take every year. We take people who want to go, um, religious pilgrimages, people who want to go to the Holy Land. And most of the shrines that we go to are, I hate to use the term the property of, but in the custody of the friars, the Franciscan friars, the first order Franciscans, and who own this monastery here. So, I mean, so and it, it was to, and then also we um, generate support for what's called the, the Good Friday Collection. The Good Friday Collection is a um, papally mandated collection all over the world. On Good Friday, uh, churches are asked during the service of Good Friday services to uh, to take a, a collection for the support in the Holy Land. Not just the shrines to keep them dusted and in good repair, but that's mm. what they do. But you go over to the Holy Land and you can see these incredible schools, a music school in Jerusalem where uh, Jewish kids, Christian kids, Muslim kids go to school together. Go to Jericho, you see another school where Muslim kids, Christian kids go together. I'm, I'm taught by Muslim teachers, uh, Christian teachers. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that going on. I went to a, um, 
I went to an old age home in Bethlehem one time to see. I was going to put my name on the list because I thought this would be kind of great, you know. <laughs> but I mean, but we forget about those yeah. things, those kind of social service things that that, the, that this annual collection also does in the friars' support. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, those are all great uh, examples of interfaith collaboration. And uh, you are listening to Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. We've been talking with Father Jim Gardner of the Franciscan Monastery of the Holy Land and Imam Talib Sharif of Masjid Muhammad. Um, Father Jim was just outlining uh, a, a couple of examples of interfaith collaboration. Um, first and foremost, the citing... Um, um, Francis and meeting with the Sultan um, and and having that uh, conversation cross collaboration there between Christians and and Muslims um, and 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 how that that idea of sitting for tea together such a great alternative to to making war with with one, one another instead building understanding um, unfortunately we're at a period right now where there is this heightened um, uh, experience of racist and Islamophobic activity, you know, most pointedly here in the D.C. area, we had um, the uh, the white supremacist rally that was held on the National Mall. And I know, Imam Talib, you were involved mm -hmm. with some of the uh, the activity around uh, denouncing that and, and holding, um, uh, by contrast, interfaith unity events. Could you talk a little bit about that experience and, and what yes, it's been yes. like for your community yes. Thank, right thanks now? Thanks again, Jack. Uh, yes, one of the events, of the many events that were taking place, uh, we were part of the United to Love uh, event that took place here on the mall, uh, closer to the Capitol building. Uh, brought together an ex and a diversity of religious leaders, and I was, I was very pleased to be a part of it. And of course, the emphasis was on love. We had this element that had promoted coming to the city to promote one interest uh, only, an extreme interest that really divides humanity, uh, this, this hate, uh, this white nationalist group. And, but then you have this other spectrum, which ended up being much larger. And that just tells us, and just listening to the different speakers, and many of the speakers represented uh, uh, the congregation, had large congregations, uh, not just here locally, but also uh, nationally, to tell us there's so much more love here than hate. Yeah. And it was encouraging to see that, yeah. uh, to know that that's what's going on. And they said there was like 40 going on across the nation of positive events for our unity yep. than the one event that was negative to divide us. Right. How, how has it been in your community right now? Now, obviously, this is a community that was founded specifically as, as a way of self-determination, specifically for African-Americans. Yes. And, and so I'm curious, what have the conversations been like in your community as there's been this rise in and, and more vocalized uh, hate speech, both, both towards minority groups, but also specifically in terms of Islamophobia? Yeah, so you got, actually you got both ends of the spectrum. Obviously, the, being African-American uh, spectrum is there. And then you have the uh, Muslim. And, of course, we're very diverse now with several Muslim groups are part of our congregation now uh, from various parts of Africa and the Middle East, et cetera. And, of course, now with the assaults uh, that have increased significantly in the past few years, uh, certainly that's a big concern. And, it's, and again, the, just the concern now is that Muslims, uh, many have become very quiet. 
because of uh, what was happening. Some had uh, really had changed their names, so to speak, from uh, Muhammad to Mo, uh, particularly some of the market. They didn't want to be bothered. Uh, uh, and of course, we know even some of the Sikhs had had trouble mm -hmm. because of the, 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 the ignorance of the people not knowing. Right. Uh, so we, but it has changed. The conversation has changed. And no, we have to, people are speaking up. And we are, and we are on the other end of the spectrum. We are being affected equally, but also greater uh, than the population in America. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there's a there's a great uh, push now to for activism, uh, to rally and to organize. Right. And of course, we know that um, uh, there was a lot of that didn't vote, that didn't participate. And of course, you know they're saying never again. Mm -hmm. And we're glad to see that. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're saying they're taking their they're standing up more saying this is home. You can't say go back home because this is home. Right. And in fact, all of the diversity is saying not just at the African Americans who've been here, but those who've come here and they, this is my home. Don't tell me this is my home. Right. This is where I raise my children. This is where I work. This is where I pay my taxes. I, I want it to be a better place. That's why I've come here. And they're taking taking ownership now. Uh, so and we've also uh, because we've been threatened. Certainly we've been threatened. A uh, lot of telephone calls, letters, emails. Uh, but I will say that we haven't had uh, physical uh, mm -hmm. harm done. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the street was changed to Islamic way due to the history. Mm -hmm. And we have there are three signs along uh, that, that, that road. Yeah, that right says out Islamic there in way. the open. Yeah, and they've never been vandalized. Mm -hmm. Now, we were threatened by elements of this group about a year and a half ago. Um, and they were going to do armed protests. They selected us. And they did 27 across the nation, mm -hmm. and we were the ones in D.C. Mm -hmm. that they selected. Mm -hmm. And it was a beautiful thing that happened. And I know you're familiar with it, but I was leading the delegation in Turkey on the day that mm. they, which was, they picked that most precious day, mm. which is Friday. Okay. And Where there would be a prayer day. To do, yeah, to do mm -hmm. what we, for prayer. And, of course, with our religious ties and our involvement with the interfaith, uh, it was public. Uh, FBI alerted us, of course, the MPD alerted us, and we had had communications. Our team was, and but the interfaith group responded with such love, saying, we will be there, we will come there. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the demand was so much from the interfaith community, because my team was here, was communicating with me, saying, what do you, how do you want to handle this? And I, and I said, I, I, th I said thank, thank all of our interfaith leaders, but ask them not to come. Tell them I, I, I would like for them not to come because if they come and have that big of a showing, you know, the media was setting up, mm. they're going to interview them and they're going to validate the group. Yeah. I don't want them to mention the group. I don't want to give the group, let them know they disturbed anything. So ask them if that they, this not to come, but I told them how grateful we are mm -hmm. that they responded. Wonderful. And, uh, and, and they, most of them supported that. A uh, few did come to pray with us. But no big, nothing big. But look, well, what happened was the day before, the neighbors, 40 of the households around the area where the mosque is, uh, put flyers up that said, this is a hate-free zone. Right. We stand with our neighbors, Mr. Muhammad. Mm. And I was doing a lecture in Turkey, and that was text to me. Mm -hmm. And it was an interfaith lecture. And I was able to share it. It was so beautiful in terms of how the community comes together. And we didn't know anything about this. Now, two carloads of uh, people that fit the description of white nationalists came through slow, but they, nobody stopped. Mm -hmm. And uh, we know, combined with those signs and the fact that nobody gave them any attention, uh, that they didn't see that we were going to get any, any action out of that. And I want to say, lastly, 
that Washington Post followed up, if I can say that, they want to know who, who did the movement on the signs. And they found one of the neighbors. They found the one who did it. Because it wasn't a Muslim. In fact, none of them, those 40 families, they were Muslim families. They were, they, were, they were other people of faith. And they told the Washington Post that they were prepared. The families had all agreed that if that group had tried to agitate us, to provoke us, it said, first of all, they were going to form a human chain between us and them so they wouldn't even have to interact with us. That was a beautiful, a beautiful message. Great, great. And if uh, listeners are interested in another upcoming opportunity for interfaith solidarity, the Interfaith Conference of Metropolitan Washington will be hosting its annual 9-11 Unity Walk. And information for that, I believe, is all available at ifcmw.org. Um, or just look on your favorite social media for info on the 9-11 Unity Walk. This is Interfaith-ish, our bi-weekly show on WOWD 94.3 FM, where we discuss the common ground and differences between our traditions. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and I'm joined by my guests, Father Jim Gardner, Director of Special Projects at the Franciscan Monastery of the Holy Land, and Imam Talib Sharif of Masjid Muhammad. If this is your first time listening to our show, dear listeners, You'll soon find this is not your typical interview show. In the first part of our program, I already had a conversation with each of our guests, but now for the second part, as we do every episode, we will flip the script and turn the mics over to our guests to ask anything that they've wanted to know about each other's story or traditions, things that they may have never asked, never known to ask, or just flat out misunderstood. With each conversation, we seek to model respectful dialogue while not being afraid to roll up our sleeves and get into some interfaith-ish. So with that, I'll turn it over to my guests, Father Jim and Imam Talib. Either of you want to start off with a question? Yes, yes, I certainly. I'm just honored to be sitting here with uh, Father Jim and just hearing about even the history of the organizational uh, changes as well. But I want to ask you, Father Jim, personally, how, what inspired you? I mean, uh, being a person of faith, a leader of faith right now, how did that happen? That's a good question, and I wish I knew. I mean, I just said, I can, I, oh, I, I, the reason why I say that is uh, when I was ordained uh, uh, after my uh, first Mass, I uh, walked back to the house, uh, or our house on the, in the Bronx, uh, and stopped as we always did in the uh, candy store up the street. Uh, when we were coming home from school, uh, there was a woman by the name of Rose. She ran the place, and she gave each, all us kids, we got a free candy, but we had to eat it there. So our mothers wouldn't catch us eating candy in the afternoon, like before we come home from school. And she told me, she said, this is a very happy day for me. I said, why? I'm just grateful everything was kind of like over, you know what I mean? And she said, no, she said, because I always, I always prayed that you would become a priest. I think that happens. I think that those things have an effect. And uh, I went to, uh, when I was in the first grade, 1948, don't bother doing the math, I'll tell you later. But I mean, when I was in the first grade, uh, I went to uh, uh, Graymore, which is the mother house of my community. It was a bus ride from the Bronx. We went up there for mass and devotions, etc. And I remember one of the friars there saying to me, to ask me to have a good day. He said, yeah, this was exciting. I never, I'd never gone any place before. Never saw so many trees, quite frankly, uh, things like that. And, uh, I, um, he said to me, maybe you'll come back here someday. And I think that planted the seed. If you, I mean, I think it's as simple as that. I talked to a guy who was just on a pilgrimage recently, and I talked to this, I don't want to say which one, because you'd be able to, uh, he could be identified, but he's uh, in his 40s, professional, wants to retire early, 
And I asked him, I said, why don't you think about becoming a deacon or a priest? You're not too old. And here's what he said to me. I have waited 40 years for somebody to ask me that. Hmm. So I think, you know, I th that just reminds me to... Uh, so later on in this same pilgrimage, we're in the Holy Land, and uh, these three guys walk by, and I, they're looking at me because I have my what's called a habit on, my Franciscan habit. They're kind of looking strangely at me, and I say, hey, Camille, what's your story? And like that, you know, they say, oh, we're sailors, we're French. I said, what did I tell them? Yeah, how many rowboats do you have? You know, I was just trying to bust their chops, you know. But anyway, they, they uh, come by, and I said to them, you know, I said, did you ever think about going into the seminary? Right there, and they looked, uh, they give me that like a shrug i said what girlfriends boyfriends pets what what's keeping you yeah you know and uh i got an email from one of them about a month later who said uh your question has really disturbed us i just think i don't think we ask people and and i and i and i, I that's that's my feeling mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. but anyway that's i somebody was interested in me somebody uh prayed for me mm -hmm. i think that's a combination you can't uh mm -hmm. It's hard to uh, wiggle out of. Yeah, that's one I appreciate you sharing there. Yeah. Yes, You've been listening to Father Jim Gardner of the Franciscan Monastery. Uh, Father Jim, do you have any questions for our other guest, Imam Talib? So what I'm going to ask you is, I mean, you grew up in a Christian atmosphere. I don't want to say whether we fail you, but what did you, what attracted you elsewhere to Islam? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Uh, I was I was uh, in the South, North Carolina, and uh, of course um, I was on the tail end, I guess, of the Jim Crow stuff. And uh, our city, some of the schools were still segregated. So that tell you that's the racial picture is there. And I'm I'm just a youth growing up in this racial picture. And then um, my uncle was my mentor, and I and I have to say that because my father was killed in New York. And my mother's second marriage uh, was a lot of domestic violence. So I had a sensitive soul anyway because of what the things I had, had to experience. But my uncle saved her life, uh, physically saved her life because uh, the, the second husband, who was very, very violent, was getting ready to shoot her in the chest. And he was a teenager at the time. And I was maybe six years old. And uh, he stepped in at the right moment and, and pushed the gun down, and my mother was shot in the leg. Mm. So he's the first one who he went to war shortly after that. He was maybe 15, 16, a couple years later he went to war. He was blown up, uh, got a lot of scrap on his body right now. And he came back and didn't get a lot of uh, treatment, like most of the Vietnam. I mean, they say never again because this, this was unpopular and a, a lot of people were disappointed with the service that they received. So anyway, there was, up to that time, I was, we was Methodist. The family was Methodist, even he was Methodist. And then uh, a lot of the rage that was happening in him and the treatment coming from the quote-unquote the system the society and then uh, the segregation was still you know uh, coming off of that piece uh, he joined movements for change and he eventually ended up uh, getting with the nation of Islam at that time the Muhammad Ali factor those things Malcolm those things kicked in and he went and then I was I began to follow him and uh, of course again I mentioned earlier about the messaging that was there uh, freedom justice and equality I I didn't, I didn't see that. And here's a message saying that we can have that. And that's what kind of uh, led me. And uh, the good news is that there was always a close relationship with the Christians because our family members were Christians. And that's one of the things that we had um, uh, that some of the migrant Muslims didn't have initially because most of them don't have family members. 
uh, they're predominantly Muslim society, so they don't have family members. They don't have the kind of relationships that intimate that we've had, uh, which is one of the reasons why we were at the foundation of starting Interfaith, uh, because, mm-hmm. of, because we were so, so close. Uh, but that's what happened. Uh, then I began to, it was a compliment, more of a compliment uh, for me uh, as a young person. I began to grow in that. As I say, things were changing. And uh, my sense of soul was reaching out, uh, crying to God. You know, I guess I, I believe that all of our souls cry the same and speak to God the same. It may come out different based on the other thing. But the soul, we all have one soul, just like there's one human type, no two types of humans. There are no two types of human souls. There's only one human soul. Right. And uh, so it brought me, it brought me to this point, and I'm just glad that uh, even today, uh, even having the experience to be sitting with my persons of faith, that's my best company is people of faith. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. We've been listening to reflections from Imam Talib Sharif of Masjid Muhammad. This is Interfaith Ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. I'm your host, Jack Gordon. Um, our other guest, Father Jim Gardner. I've got, I've got a question for you. It's a little bit of a difficult question, you know. The, our dear listeners that have um, been paying attention to the news recently are no doubt aware of the horrific report of a, abuse by, by Catholic priests in Pennsylvania and the, um, the systematic cover-ups by the, by the church of, of these, these uh, um, abuses. And I'm curious what um, your experience has been this past week. How have the communities that you've been with reacted to the to the report itself to the response by church leadership and including the letter from from Pope Francis that just came out I think the response has been very difficult to, to deal with because uh, it threw most of us for a loop many of us knew a lot of the people whose names are uh, were made the headlines uh, Archbishop McCarrick for instance was a dear friend to many of us I think a lot of us feel, um, I'll speak for myself, that, um, that I, I, I don't want to see the, the tide of, uh, of, of awful things and horrible things that happened. I don't want to see that wash away somehow uh, the good that he was able to do, for instance. And uh, I, I, feel, I feel bad about that. I don't know how to handle it, quite frankly. I think I, I, there's a part of me is now relieved that uh, Pennsylvania report is out, because now we now we're challenged to do something about it. Uh, I had mass Sunday in two places, and in both the places, um, people said to me on the way out, nobody said anything negative. Two people said, one in each place, I'm just glad you didn't preach about the troubles that are in the headlines today. A lot of people felt the need to do that. I felt. Uh, I felt one of the places where I was, I'm not the pastor, and if he wanted that to be talked about, he should tell me in advance, you know, I mean, and, uh, but I mean, you get sick and tired of hearing this stuff, you say, oh my God, come on, let's put the, let's find out who's guilty, let's not get involved in a witch hunt, that's what I get, that's what makes me very nervous, you know, let's not start putting blame on things uh, when we don't, when we don't have, um, don't have enough information at hand, you know, Mm. so I mean, I, uh, I, I don't think I think most of us are still f- almost like in a almost like a whirlpool, you know, because it's dizzying the the revelations that are coming out, et cetera, et cetera. I do think, and I don't mean this to sound that maybe the way it will sound, but I do think that a lot of the stuff that we're learning, and I put learning now, uh, it it should never have gone on to begin with, but we did not know we did not know until recently 
how uh, how devastating this would be to uh, to young people or to, to or to people who are like studying for the ministry or, or thing. We not had to, we had no idea of that. It's like uh, I was telling somebody the other day that when I had uh, I had surgery. Uh, uh, the doctor said to me, oh, you know, you were the last one that I really cut open. I said, oh, th oh how's that? Well, he said, because I tr uh, r right after you the, you, the first person after you, I used this laparoscopic technique, you know? I mean, things change. We learn stuff. And, and I think that, um, I, I think that we're, we're in a learning mode right now, and uh, I think a lot of the stuff that we're going to find out and, and uh, things we'll put into place, we need to put into place, I mean, to protect people. Mm -hmm. um, I, I I think those are going to be valuable for other for other people. So uh, so this is this is difficult to ask. Um, but do you do you think that significant change in in church policy and action is possible? Because the the Catholic Church is obviously it's a very powerful it's a global institution. It's been around for hundreds of years, and and I don't I mean as an outsider. I mean, it seems it seems to me obvious that as somebody who's not connected to the Catholic Church directly, that you know people need to be held accountable for serious crimes, right? Um, but on an institutional level of this size, I, you know, it's I don't even know what that looks like or how, given these relationships, it 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 could it could happen. So I'm curious what your I mean, I I do think that there'll be uh, be changes will be will be effected. I don't know what those changes are. Uh, at the moment, I know people were saying that uh, some people said that letter that Pope Francis sent out that was nothing. It, all it said is, "I'm sorry that this happened." Well, that's step one, you know. And it seems to me, and then uh, he's been pretty decisive about a number of other things. And so I think that you know this is going to go on for a while. Uh, I, 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 the ripple effect of what happened, and uh, the, the, the follow-up to that, the, the, the safeguards are going to have to be put into place, the things that are going to have to be prioritized, I, and the learning that has to take place. See, this is what I think. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a person of faith, any kind of faith, I mean, uh, you, you are essentially a learner. And, you know, and don't restrict God from um, don't restrict God uh, to to something that you've constructed, so that we need as Catholics we need to look outside, and this is good Catholic doctrine. We need to look outside the fences we have created to find out well what's God been doing over there, and what can we learn from that. That's why, you know, before I came down to DC, I was in charge of a, uh, in charge of a retreat house, and one of my favorite retreats. Uh, was a retreat that we did with the um, a local Buddhist monastery about 25 minutes away. Uh, we called it the re called the weekend retreat um, uh, the Buddha as teacher. What Christians can learn from the insights and practices of Buddhists. Uh, we we were starting the same thing with the local one of the local Muslim communities, but then I got transferred out of there, you know, and and uh, my successor was. I never, I never fall. We can learn. Now, can we learn about can we learn about abuse? I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I, we can all learn about these things. Number one, but number two, there's all kinds of things that we can learn from one another, and we impoverish ourselves by not um, by not uh, seeing ourselves as basically students, mm -hmm. listening to one another, etc. 
I mean, I th- I think I don't I don't want to think I don't want to think that all of this is going to blow over. I don't think that's possible these days. Um, and I I just want to make sure I would want to make sure that our bishops. See, here's another thing. Uh, our bishops, are, most of them, I, and I don't say this negatively, although some people will probably say that it is, but most of them are lawyers, canon lawyers, church lawyers. That's kind of like been the path, okay? So you have you have the bishops, and then say the, you have the lay faithful, and you say, well, you know, well, we've got to have more uh, input by the lay faithful uh, into the decision making by the bishops. Well, guess what? You just skipped over a whole group of people the priests you know we got things to say we got things that our experiences uh, 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 you know you got to mine all that stuff I think well this has been a very interesting conversation I appreciate everybody's insights and um, and being able to to share together today you know part of one of the reason that we we come together here for interfaith ish on WOWD 94.3 FM, as you were saying, Father Jim, is, is to, to be listeners and students of each other. Um, so I appreciate both of you uh, engaging in this, in this forum to, to share some of your perspectives. We're getting uh, about to the top of the hour and the end of our program here. Um, I want to thank you all for, for joining us today, Imam Talib Sharif of Masjid Muhammad and Father Jim Gardner of the Franciscan Monastery in uh, Washington, D.C. And that's a wrap on this week's Interfaith-ish. I'm happy to be back here with you all, boldly breaking through the barriers between our backyards and barrios in this episodic exploration, examining the very essence of our existence. A shout-out to my fellow Interfaith-ishtronauts, Miranda Hovmeyer and Sue Katz-Miller, behind the scenes, but foremost in my thoughts, and always a special thanks to Jeff Philosopher for hooking us up with our theme music. And of course, thank you, dear listeners, for spending your hour with us. You can find all our previous episodes of Interfaith-ish on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and SoundCloud. Leave us a rating or review, and let us know if there's Interfaith-ish you wish to dish by writing an email to interfaithish at gmail.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H at gmail.com. Interfaithish will be back in two weeks on Wednesday, September 5th at 9 a.m. when Miranda, Sue, and I will be catching up on all the interfaith hijinks from over the summer. Until then, keep it locked to WOWD 94.3 FM for great music and programs seven days a week streaming online at TacomaRadio.org.